Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, July 2nd, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 1 to 17. Jeremiah has been proclaiming the coming of the Lord's judgment through the Babylonian Empire, but lots of other prophets are proclaiming a much more palatable message. It was a false message, though it must have sounded pretty great to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. In today's text, the false preacher is a prophet by the name of Hananiah, and Jeremiah preaches the Lord's truth in the face of the lies that are being peddled. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Pastor Preuss, as we get started, let's talk context. The very first verse of our text gives us a, a picture of when this happened. As it says, the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, it's the fifth month of the fourth year. Uh, what's going on at that time? What's the, what's the setting for our text today? Yeah, so uh, this is, I think it's about 31 years after Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. So if you remember, he was called in the uh, 13th year of King Josiah, and that's when he said he was but a child. So Josiah served 31 years total, so he would have been a prophet for 18 years under Josiah. And then uh, there's three months of Jehoahaz uh, before he's removed by King Necho, of uh, Pharaoh Necho of, of Egypt. Uh, and then his brother, uh, Jehoahaz's brother, Jehoiakim, whose original name was Eliakim, reigns for 11 years. Uh, and then he's you know, killed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then his son, uh, Jehoiakim, who's called Jeconiah in this chapter, uh, he reigns for three months before he's taken captive to, to Babylon. And then Zedekiah takes over. And he reigned for 11 years, and we're in the fourth year there. So if my math is right, and I think it is, uh, this adds up to, to 31 years. So Jeremiah is a middle-aged guy. Uh, to connect with other Bible stories, Daniel, he went out in the third year of, of King Jehoiakim. So this is about 12 years after. Uh, Daniel went to Babylon about 12 years after, uh, or, or three years into Jehoiakim's. So this is about 12 years after that. So Daniel has been in uh, Babylon this, uh, for the past 12 years. We've already had the three men in the fiery furnace. You've already had uh, them prove themselves by eating the vegetables and, and going through that test. Uh, Daniel the lion's den has not happened yet, uh, but, uh, but some of the other prophecies that Nebuchadnezzar have. Um, uh, this is about the, this is the 13th year for my estimates of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Uh, this is six years before the king utterly destroys Jerusalem and the temple, because he does that in the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And I think, from a Bible study I did re, uh, uh, somewhat recently on Daniel, I think this is the year 593 B.C. So King Nebuchadnezzar came to power in the summer of 605 B.C., uh, he defeated Egypt, so that's when King uh, Pharaoh Necho 
went back to Egypt and come out in the year, in the early summer, uh, late spring of 605 BC. His father, uh, who was the king before him, died in, in August. And then he becomes king in September. And at some point that year, he would have taken Daniel and all the the uh, the young men to Babylon. And that's when Jehoiakim would have been made his servant. Uh, and then he continues to reign for another eight years. So that's that's the time frame of you know the the, the top of the uh, of the sixth century BC. Mm-hmm. And then for more context of what's going on within Jeremiah, uh, so Judah is is under the it's pretty much limited to the city of Jerusalem, and it is under the control of. Nebuchadnezzar. So you have King Zedekiah, he's king, but kind of in, in the sense that, you know, King Herod is king of, of Judea, like when Jesus uh, was there. Uh, he is under the authority of a much more powerful ruler, and that's King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and in Jeremiah 27, which you guys will have just done, uh, the, Jeremiah is sent by God to tell not only <clears throat> the courts of of Jerusalem, and not only King Zedekiah uh, and the priests, but he's he tells all of the uh, the messengers from all these other surrounding kingdoms that the Lord, who has created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, has put a yoke on their neck, and uh, that yoke is. Uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar. So he has placed Nebuchadnezzar over them. So the image there is that this wooden yoke that you put on an ox, I mean, which is a beast of burden, and they is forced to work. So they're all pretty much the beasts of burden of Nebuchadnezzar, and saying that this is going to last for three generations. Uh, so, you know, just buckle, you know, hunker down, and this is the way it's going to go. Do not rebel against them. Submit to him. This is from the Lord. And this is the context that we have with then Hananiah, this false prophet showing up, and uh, and he well we'll we'll read it. But he it, it's not just that he is a false prophet, but he obviously has heard Jer- what Jeremiah is prophesying from the Lord, and he has come to uh, directly contradict it to say no, the Lord's going to break off this yoke. Mm. Yeah, I mean, after listening to Jeremiah in chapter 27, it's rather remarkable that Hananiah stands up and and starts talking like this because Jeremiah has repeated multiple times, don't listen to these false prophets. But Hananiah, he's not afraid of that. And so he's going to speak up here. We're in Jeremiah chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. 
May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. I'll pause there, Pastor Preuss. That was through verse 9, this first back and forth between Hananiah and Jeremiah. Before we look at that, just talk a little bit about the setting. This is said to take place in the house of the Lord. Yes, and uh, so it says that this is in the same year that chapter 27 took place. It almost seems that it's the same day, or it's just the same setting, because when, he, when uh, Jeremiah is prophesying, saying that God has put a yoke on all the nations and on Jerusalem, uh, he then goes and he talks to the priests. So in verse 16 uh, of chapter 27, he says, Then I spoke to the priests and to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you. Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon. So uh, you pointed out before, I mean, he not only did uh, Jeremiah prophesy that King Nebuchadnezzar would rule over the nations for a time set by God, but he specifically warns against false prophets who say that, no, the Lord's going to bring these things back. So you can't, I, reading this, I kind of get the sense that Jeremiah is in the midst of speaking to the priests in the temple, and uh, maybe there are other people there for some sort of uh, corporate worship. I don't know where in the temple this is, if this is something that where only the priests would be or uh, where the priests and the people would, would come to. But then you have Hananiah, who just comes up and uh, says the exact thing that Jeremiah says, don't listen to them if, if they say it. Uh, it is a little bit interesting. I know when we read about these prophets, you read like the first you know, little introduction, it's like less than a... A, chat, a verse usually, then you can move on and forget the, the name of the father of, of the prophets and things like this. Uh, Jeremiah was the, the son of a priest. Um, he was the son of Hilkiah, uh, the priest, uh, who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. Uh, that's what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1. So he does come from a priestly family. Uh, King Solomon when he first became king, uh, he exiled uh, Abiathar, the high priest, to Anathoth uh, because he was the priest that anointed his brother Adonijah to be uh, king instead of him. If you remember that episode at the beginning of First Kings when uh, Solomon is made king uh, and, and there's this conspiracy to make his brother king. So there's a little bit of history. I don't know uh, if there's really much to that, if uh, if uh, Jeremiah has like access to priestly quarters where he's able to go and talk to the priests as a priest himself, I'm not really sure. Uh, but uh, maybe I'm sure someone else knows knows those answers. But anyway, this is that's the context. It's in the temple. Uh, Jer- Jeremiah has spoken to the priests in the temple about you know they're looking at all the vessels that are not there, rather the the places where those vessels were, 
and uh, he's saying they're not coming back uh, for a very long time. Uh, and uh, and uh, don't listen to anyone who says otherwise. And then he has his hand and I come up and he just says exactly what Jeremiah said he was going to say. So what what is there in, in Hananiah's prophecy, which again, we know is false, but what what's there, anything that stands out in those words that he speaks in verses two through four? Well, I think the, the most obvious one is the fact that he mentions the yoke. He says in two, uh, where he says that, that God has broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. So he's directly contradict, contradicting Jeremiah. He's talking about these vessels being brought back. So if you remember, if you read through the end of Second Kings, for example, uh, you can also do it in Second Chronicles. But in Second Kings, you'll see that uh, that the vessels are taken kind of in stages. He doesn't take everything right away. He kind of just like plunders at first, but lets you know the king stay in Jerusalem. He lets the temple be there. Then finally, he comes in, destroys everything. So uh, he says that these vessels are going to be brought back. So that would be like the like the baths and you know different golden uh, vessels and instruments for for worship. Uh, and then he also says that King Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, will uh, will be returned. Now here he says Jeconiah. Uh, that is what First King or Second Kings and Second Chronicles calls Jehoiakim. Uh, so, no, not, uh, yeah, Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim is Jeconiah, uh, and he is the one who was king for three months. And then he was uh, sent by Nebuchadnezzar into prison in Babylon. And then, like, 38 years later, uh, that's where he gets taken out and he sits at the king's, at the king's uh, table in, in Babylon. So I think those are the, those are the big things uh, that he directly contradicts Jeremiah's prophecy, uh, naming the yoke that Jeremiah says will not be taken away. He says it will be taken away. They're in the temple, and he's saying this temple is going to be restored and then he also mentions the king, who is an evil king. He's a bad king, that's what Scripture says. And he says he's going to be restored. It strikes me in, in Hananiah's false prophecy, and this will come out even more when we when we read the rest of the text, where actually Hananiah is going to take that yoke off of Jeremiah. It strikes me that, that he he picks up directly what Jeremiah is using as his object lesson. Now, on the one hand, you know, that makes sense that he would do that, that he would just directly contradict. But in terms of that object lesson, you know, the false preaching doesn't have anything new. It can only pervert what God has given. And I don't know if that, maybe I don't want to read too much into it, I suppose, but it, it does, it does strike me that Hananiah, he doesn't come up with any sort of new image of his own. He simply takes the true image and he twists it, and, and that just seems the way that, that false preaching always works. It never comes up with something new, but takes the truth and twists it enough to make us believe a lie. Yeah, I, I think there, there's definitely something uh, in that. And we'll get that when we, you know, when we ta- talk about false prophecy today. But, you know, the perversion of marriage, or even the perversion of, of religions. Uh, I mean, you, you, can, I mean, you can talk about this forever, but like, uh, for whatever reason, Hinduism kind of... Uh, pops into my mind, and Hinduism, they don't have the Trinity, obviously, but they do have kind of like a triad of, uh, I guess, manifestations of, of the Brahma. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, it seems that that's kind of what Satan doesn't create. Um, he, he, he just distorts, he twists. Um, I just read, I read an interesting article, actually, just up on my lunch break, 
uh, from uh, Pastor Hans Feeney. He wrote an article called Nimrod's Art, or The Art of Nimrod, or something like that, uh, from this uh, new journal called Christian Culture. Um, that uh, it's, If you go on uh, classical, was it lutherclassical.org, and then you can go and subscribe to this, this journal. It's, uh, promotes Christian, it's called Christian Culture. But uh, he was talking about art, like the art of Nimrod, which is like rebellion against God, and just kind of, and it, it uh, yeah, it, it doesn't create, it refuses to create, it's like a rebellion against God, uh, and, uh, but yeah, I think that's an, that's, that's an interesting, I think it's a good observation. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything new, he, it's kind of like a kid just saying, nah <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So Jeremiah then responds to this, and and maybe this sounds a bit surprising in the way that he says, because Jeremiah has just gotten done saying, don't listen to these false prophets. They don't know what they're talking about. It's all a lie. Hananiah comes up and says precisely what Jeremiah said, don't listen to. And Jeremiah's initial response is, amen. I, I hope that happens. What What's Jeremiah doing here? Well, I think look, Jeremiah, I think this is a little bit of... Um I don't know if it's sarcasm, but it's, I mean, he's, uh, Jeremiah's not intimidated. So, yeah, he, he says, yeah, yeah, that would be wonderful if that happens. But then he just kind of points out, it's like going back to the fundamentals. That, well, okay, yeah, that would be great if this happens. May the Lord do, do so. Uh, but remember what Scripture says, you know, that uh, how do you know whether a prophet is a true prophet or not? It's whether his prophecy comes true. So he just points out, you know, all the prophets from ancient times have been saying, have been preaching destruction, they've been preaching war, they've been preaching famine, because they're trying, God's trying to bring you to repentance. Uh, so if you're going to now preach something else, if you're going to preach peace, well, then we'll find out if you were speaking from the Lord when it happened. Uh, and this is from uh, Deuteronomy 18.22. Of course, Deuteronomy 18 is this wonderful chapter, where, uh, Messianic prophecy of Christ, where it says that he will raise up a brother-like uh, Moses from among them. He raised up a prophet like uh, Moses from among the brothers, and he'll put his word in his mouth. He says, well, how do you know whether a prophet is actually a prophet from the Lord? He says, well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. So Jeremiah, uh, and we see this with, with this entire interaction in the temple. It's not until the Lord speaks to him later on in the chapter. Jeremiah doesn't defend himself. He just simply speaks the word of the Lord. It's kind of like uh, is that in Jude, where he says that uh, the the angel Michael said to Satan uh, when they're arguing over the body of Moses, "The Lord rebuke you." He says, "The Lord rebuke you." So Jeremiah isn't. Uh, he's not going to fight. He's not going to go and you know try to one up him. He's just simply going to say, "Well, this is what the word of the Lord says." So. If, if that's what you say, okay. Well, let's let's see, Hananiah, and he's uh, uh, it's actually a very it's a humble thing, and I think he's he's also teaching the people. He's like, okay, okay, are, are we going to win? Am I going to win this crowd of priests over here if I just if we have an argument back and forth? So instead, he just says, well, let's see whose prophecy comes true. That's that's how Scripture teaches us. Yeah, it's certainly a very a patient reaction. I want to I want to maybe connect what Jeremiah initially responds that amen may the Lord do so back to something Jeremiah said in the previous chapter when he was talking about the false prophets. 
He said, you know, if they really are prophets, if they really have the word of the Lord, then what they should do is they should intercede with the Lord of hosts. If they're really prophets, then let them pray yeah. to the Lord of hosts that these things happen. And and I want to, I mean, this sounds like Jeremiah is putting his own words into practice there, that as a true prophet of the Lord, he takes what Hananiah has said and said, I would love that. Let's let's pray for that, Hananiah, that the Lord would do that, because that would be great. And and in fact, that's what Jeremiah has been praying for on other occasions, that the Lord would yeah. be merciful. And so I, I think there may be a connection to that that previous chapter in that way. Well, I, I think absolutely. That's a, that's a really brilliant point, because that's really gets to the heart of what's going on here. What? Why is Jeremiah preaching what he's preaching? Well, because the Lord told him to. Okay, yeah, fine. Why does God want him to preach this? He's trying to bring them to repentance. He wants his people to pray that the temple would be preserved, that he wouldn't depart from them, that they would be his people in his special possession, that they wouldn't be scattered all around. And what is the point of these false prophets? Well, I mean, since they're really just pawns of Satan, uh, it's, it's so that the people do not repent. But here Hananiah is saying, oh, well, you know, these things that Jeremiah himself in both public and personal prayers is praying, he said, well, this will happen. And Jeremiah is like, well, then why don't you pray for it? And you think about Daniel. I mean, Daniel, who's in Babylon for 70 years or however long he is before he dies, uh, and he, he continues to pray toward Jerusalem, and he remembers the words of Jeremiah. Like he, uh, it says that in Jeremiah chapter 9, he, he reads the words of Jeremiah, that this will be for 70 years. And he's praying, and the whole time he's praying that God would not forget that promise. He's like, oh, you said 70 years? Okay, well, I'm going to hold on to that. That's a promise from God. And I'm going to pray and pray and pray and pray that God's promises come true. So there's, there's really a difference between those who have faith and those who do not. And it's kind of like when people today talk about the love of God, like, oh, God is love. And they use that as an excuse to justify just abhorrent behavior. And well, what's their goal? Their goal is not for you to actually come closer to God and interact with Him and speak to Him and listen to Him and pray for His will to be done, but it's just simply to get you off the hook of God's punishment. So that's, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And then the rest of Jeremiah's words, why, why is it that, that as he, you know, he recites this history of prophets in the past, why is it that the prophets, why did the true ones always preach war, famine, pestilence, and then the ones that prophesy peace, well, they've got to prove it by what actually happens? Well, I think, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, because uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah and Israel have been sinning against God and they've been forsaking what, what he has done. Um, I think another is, you know, there is a, a consistency uh, among the prophets of God, and the, these uh, the, we, where they've proven themselves to be uh, prophets. And then, of course, the, the big thing is what they've prophesied has come to pass. I mean, at this time, in the year 593 B.C., where is Jerusalem? Where is, you know... Uh, or not Jerusalem, where is Israel? Where is Samaria? Who lives in Samaria? Where, where, where is the king of Israel? You know, where, 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 where does the boundary of Judah and Israel extend? Right? I mean, it's been destroyed. There's nothing left. I mean, they're holding on to a remnant of their former territory and their former people. And it's because of all of the prophecies that have prophesied war have come true. 
so I think that's the big thing. It's like, okay, well, what I'm saying is actually happening. And you can't deny it. And that's the other thing, too. Hananiah doesn't say, oh, no, God's not going to put a yoke on the people from, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar. Because it's obvious. Everyone knows that there's a yoke on all the nations from Nebuchadnezzar because he's the ruler of, like, the entire Middle East at that point. So I think that's the big, I mean, anyone can kind of just see that it's not a time of peace at that time. Yeah. And so, I mean, Jeremiah lays this out for Hananiah. And I, I do appreciate what you were saying about, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't respond with any sort of vengeance against Hananiah. Rather, he simply sticks to the word of the Lord. He, he says, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to pray that what you say is true, but this is what the Lord says. And, and outside of anything else, that's what we have to stick with that, that even though we might like this to be true, this is what the Lord says. This is what we have to listen to. And and if you what you says hap, if what you say will happen, Hananiah, then okay. But until then, let's listen to the Lord. And so Jeremiah is going to have more to say. There's going to be more interaction between Jeremiah and Hananiah. We'll pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Jeremiah chapter 28 with Pastor James Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, July 2nd. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 1 to 17 with Pastor James Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we looked at the first interaction between Hananiah and Jeremiah. Hananiah, in the the context of Jeremiah wearing this yoke, saying, don't listen to the false prophets who say to you that you're not going to serve the king of Babylon for that long. The vessels will come back. Don't listen to them. Hananiah says precisely that. Jeremiah responds in confidence in the Lord's word, saying, may the Lord do so. But remember, Hananiah, what has happened in the past, that those who prophesy peace, it must happen if it is going to be true. And the prophet Ananiah responds. So we are picking up the text now in verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 28. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, sorry, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place of bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. 
And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 28, verses 10 to 17. So, Pastor Preuss, Hananiah is not done. He's going to one-up Jeremiah, it looks like. He, he actually takes the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah and breaks it. This is a pretty dramatic scene. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, he's clearly trying to pick a fight. Uh, he's being very theatric. It's kind of an interesting thing, because you might think that Jeremiah is uh, pick, trying to pick a fight, that he's being you know, trying to, you know, bring attention to himself. He has a yoke on his, uh, on his shoulder. And this is something that God, God does. Like, you know, he'll have a prophet walk around naked or like lie down on one side or, you know, uh, you know, sneak around and things like that and, uh, behave very strangely. And people are like, why are you, why are you acting so weird? And they says, well, because thus says, says the Lord. Um, but Jeremiah isn't actually trying to bring attention to himself, but rather to the word of God. And this uh, Hananiah guy, he, I mean, he, if he lived today, he'd be, he'd be a, a televangelist, and he'd do all sorts of fun things and, uh, you know, say outrageous things and, and things like that. But he's picking a fight. He takes this yoke off of, off of Jeremiah's head, uh, shoulder, and then he uh, breaks it to say that, uh, that, you know, this is what the Lord has done. And what's kind of interesting, which kind of fits with how Jeremiah's response so far, is, Jeremiah just simply walks away. He doesn't. He doesn't pick a fight, uh, and it's very much going back to what Scripture says. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So, do not seek vengeance yourself. The, the Lord will seek vengeance. So Jeremiah, I mean, he's a prophet, and the, and obviously, what's going on right now is the Lord is not giving him anything to say, uh, in addition to what he's already said. He's like, well, I've said what the Lord told me to say. I'm not going to respond with my own words. I'm a prophet of God. But he goes and waits for the Lord to give him a response to give. Um, and then he does. And, and you, you see that the Lord, it's not Jeremiah, but it is the Lord who says uh, that Hananiah is going to die. And it is the Lord who then reaffirms what he said before. And I think it's a very, uh, it's an interesting thing of how Scripture lays this out, uh, or how the Lord laid it out. Uh, but I think it's, so that we know that this is not a fight between Jeremiah and Hananiah. Who is Jeremiah? I mean, he's a better man than I am, but he's a man. And it's the Lord who is speaking through him. Mm. Uh, so when we look at what, what Jeremiah says, uh, he then goes, and again, you, you have this yoke language. He says, okay, well, you broke a, a yoke of wood, Well, now, but now you have made an iron yoke for all these nations. You have laid an iron yoke on the neck of all these nations, of iron bar. Of course, iron, iron, wood's easier to break than, than uh, or iron, is, uh, uh, wood is easier to break than iron. So if, if Jeremiah would have had an iron bar, uh, Han and I wouldn't have been able to make a show of it and, and broken it over his knee. And so it's an interesting thing how the, how the Lord says this. He says, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. So it's Hananiah's fault that everyone now has a more secure 
uh, yoke uh, uh, with, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar over them. So what does it mean that they have an iron yoke? Um, I think what this means is that, that Nebuchadnezzar's rule over them is even more total. It's just, I mean, it is, uh, he really is, has control over their lives. But then I think uh, even more, it's just God saying, you know, not that his word can be broken anyway, but this is just reaffirming. This is going to happen. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do or what games you play. The, thus says the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule. His yoke is going to be on all these nations. And it's going to go to the third generation. And uh, there's nothing you can do to change it. And when you deny it, you just make it more sure. And what's kind of interesting about it is it does kind of result that way, doesn't it? Because I mean, why does Zedekiah rebel? Well, it's probably because he keeps on having the ears of these uh, false prophets saying, oh, the Lord will give you success, the Lord will give you success. Uh, so then Zedekiah is, is killed. Uh, or not, he's killed. He's, uh, his eyes are plucked out after he watches his sons get slaughtered before his eyes. And so the last thing he sees is his son being killed, and they pluck out his eyes, and then he's... Um, do they kill him after that, or is he just going to... I think he di- just dies in captivity. I'm not sure that he's actually yeah. killed, executed, but but his it's certainly a, a very you know brutal story of the way his right. reign as king ends. Right, right, yeah, that's right. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that was hastened by that. I mean, because this yoke was already on them, and it would have continued to be on, on them. So it's yeah, so it's uh, the Lord is the one who's in charge. The Lord is responding. Jeremiah is simply his instrument who's speaking. Jeremiah doesn't go and think with a sword and kill Hananiah. He just simply tells what the Lord says. And then Hananiah, who claims that the the, uh, the yoke will be lifted in two years, he doesn't even live to see that not come true. Mm. Uh, he dies uh, in the seventh month. So if this was if he said this in the fifth month, that's like two months later. Uh, but it's, he really is just. I mean, he doesn't even get to see how how wrong his prophecy was. He he dies, hmm. uh, and uh, and that was the Lord doing. Well, I know. Let's let's start there. I've got a couple of thoughts on on some of the things you've said with that matter of Hananiah dying. I, I think in addition to you know he doesn't live to see whether or not what he says comes true, but that that time frame does show Jeremiah to be the true prophet because what he says does happen right there. I mean, two months later for everyone to see that's, I think, you know, a testimony to Jeremiah as the true prophet of the Lord. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeremiah said to him, okay, if you speak peace, then let's see if peace happens and then we'll know if you're a true prophet. And then when the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, he goes and says, uh, you're going to die this year. And then he dies that year. And then everyone knows, well, that's the standard we were given, wasn't it? But, of course, they still don't believe Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they continue to, to not believe and to believe these other false prophets. So Hananiah is just one of many false prophets. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, he's, he's one of many. So then working our way back up, I, I think, with what you were saying about the, the wooden yoke being replaced by the iron yoke, and that Hananiah, in, in some sense, is responsible for it being an iron yoke— his his false preaching is only strengthening Zedekiah and the other residents of Jerusalem and Judah who would listen 
into further, you know, non unrepentance and to further unbelief of the Lord and his word. And so in that sense, Hananiah is responsible for this iron yoke being placed upon the people, which, you know, is, is probably the opposite of what the people would have thought. They would have been looking at, or many of them, Zedekiah probably included, looking at Jeremiah, you're the bad guy. You're the one that's telling us all this bad news. When in fact, Hananiah, by his false preaching, is actually making it worse because he's leading them farther away from the Lord, his word, and repentance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we see uh, today. I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead, I guess, here with uh, what we're, we're talking about. And we do have false prophets uh, today, and that's what they do. I mean, probably the most popular false prophecy uh, is licentiousness right now. So licentiousness is kind of like, think of it as having a license to sin. Uh, so, uh, you, of course, you have those who deny that God exists, or they you know, reject Christianity in its uh, you know, basic tense and things like that. But a big part is saying, no, they believe in God, they love Jesus, Jesus is great. But then they just assert that God is, is pleased with their behavior. And that's what these false prophets were doing. I mean, he doesn't say, thus says Baal. Uh, Hananiah doesn't. He says, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who says, you are my people. It's like Korah. It's like Korah saying, oh, the, all the people are holy. All the people are holy. And the Lord is with us. You know, these are, this is the Lord's people. And that's how Hananiah is speaking. So um, that's, I think, what we have to be aware of today, is when you have people who... Uh, who are speaking in the name of the Lord, claiming to be pastors, claiming to be church leaders, and they just assert, and they use, uh, you know, um, equivocation to say that God approves of sin. And it's just simply not the case. God always calls us to, to repentance. And when you don't call people to repentance, it makes it worse. Uh, denying that you're a sinner doesn't make your sin go away. Uh, it, 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 rather, it just makes you more a slave of your sin, uh, and that's a, that's a horrible thing. Uh, before we, I, I want to come back to that, Pastor Price. But before we we go too far down that that trail of false prophecy today, and and being aware of it and recognizing it and what to do about it, one more thing I want to pick up, with, and I, I think you you said it well, but I want to talk about a little more is this delay between Hananiah's, you know, breaking the actual yoke that Jeremiah is wearing and then the word of the Lord coming. I think you're, you're right on that. This is a, an indicator to us that when Jeremiah responds, he's not doing so because, you know, he's mad at Hananiah or in an attempt to one up Hananiah or to take his own vengeance upon Hananiah. But he's doing so because this is what the Lord has given him to do. This isn't Jeremiah's personal revenge against someone who's causing him trouble. This is Jeremiah once again being faithful to what the Lord has given. And I think there's there's something to that. And, and this is maybe just me speaking personally. Anytime I, I get into a an argument, whether it's about false teaching and true teaching or not, or just an argument in general, my temptation is always just to, to respond right off the cuff, to respond in anger, rather than to, to stop and think about, okay, what's true, what's not, and to focus on that in the middle. And I think there's there's something to that, and I know that's maybe just speaking from a human perspective, theologically even more so, to make sure that, that when we respond to those who, who are speaking falsely, that we do so not out of anger or a desire for vengeance or, or sort of one-upsmanship, 
but out of a desire to speak what the Lord has spoken, no more, no less. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, there's so much wisdom in that, too. Where the proverb, proverb says that uh, there's more hope for a fool than for a man who can't hold, can't control his temper. Uh, and, uh, and then also just, you know, being slow to speak is, is a good, is always, I think, usually, I mean, like always, yeah, being slow to speak is a, is a good rule to live by, that's what Scripture says. Um, it's, it's always a temptation to try to cover everything right away. Uh, and, uh, but I think one, a lot of people can't handle it. Uh, when you throw, and you give a, a full argument, uh, I mean, you kind of have to, I mean, it's kind of like with preaching. I mean, there's a whole lot more that I could say every Sunday. Uh, and that's kind of always the way it is. I mean, I think pastors, uh, most pastors could, uh, you know, use lots of these things as talking, jumping off points to talk about an array of topics that we could preach for an hour. I mean, that's what, presumably that's what they used to do, the, the preach for a long time. I mean, Paul did until a guy, a guy fell asleep and fell out of a window. Uh, but people can't handle it. Uh, so that's why we don't, uh, for the most part. Uh, but it, it's, uh, and that, that's why I like indict Paul. I, they were better people, I guess, because they could listen longer. But there is something about, you know, trying, not laying all, all of your cards on the table right away, but then also showing that you're answering from the word of the Lord mm. and, uh, and showing that, well, this is what the, the scripture says. And then also giving someone an opportunity to ponder that. Um, I remember watching, uh, years ago, I watched a, a video. It was actually produced by the Wells, I think. But it was like how to respond to Mormons. It was a cheesy video because they were like acting out stuff and everything. It's usually pretty cheesy when they do that. But uh, what I found interesting, what I remember about it is they had these Mormons come in, they had cat play acted, and they just focused on one verse. And they didn't move on. And I was just thinking, like, at the time, I was a teenager at the time, I was like, why don't they, why aren't they jumping to all these different verses that you can go? And they just focused on the one verse on the one verse. And that can be a good tool, I think. It's just simply when you're responding to something theologically, say, well, what about this verse? And uh, kind of our, our temptation is to give the verse, and then whether they accept it or not, then we're like, and then what about this verse, and this verse, and this verse? We'll just let them, you know, stick to that one verse for a bit, and have them actually confront it before you, you do anything else. And I think that's what uh, Jeremiah did. He said, well, this is what Scripture says. It says that you'll know that the prophet is true when his word comes true. Hmm. And then I mean, that's the last thing he says until the Lord gives him another thing to say. With what Jeremiah says there about you know recognizing the false prophet if it comes true or not, and thinking about false prophets again today to to return to that topic, how does how does that work today? Because there are some times where say, and I mean here I'm thinking some of the prosperity gospel preachers that that say if you do these things, then God will bless you in these material ways. Sometimes it looks like those things happen, so. How how do we recognize false teaching today? That's a that's a very good question uh, because Jesus we know that we ha- that we have false prophets today because Jesus says beware of false prophets uh, and, and it's very interesting he says who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves so they look good and then he says how do you know whether they are from him or not uh, he said you'll know them by their fruit now. That thing about them, them giving, sometimes they'll give good advice, uh, but they'll have bad theology with it. So they'll say, well, you know, if you're successful, this shows that God is pleased with you. 
Well, the thing is, it's, it's a trick uh, that, uh, I mean, why are the Mormons generally, you know, wealthier and more put together than the average American? Well, because they follow their rules. I mean, you can do this all sorts of different religious groups that are solely law-based because they have certain principles that they live by. So if you're honest, hardworking, if you look at, at laziness as a vice that's evil, uh, and, uh, and if you look at uh, marriage and say, well, you should get married and not divorce your wife and not have children outside of wedlock, if you follow those rules, then you probably are going to be successful. I mean, statistically speaking. So how do you, if, if they're able to do these great things, and it looks like God is, is richly blessing them, uh, or even if they do miracles, how do you know whether they... Uh, are true or not. If they, they do a miracle or if they're successful, she just assumes that they're right. Well, no. In Deuteronomy uh, 13, uh, here, I'm going to open, open it up to, to read it so I don't have to try to paraphrase it. But he addresses this where he says, well, even if a prophet comes to you and does great wonder, if he tells you to go and follow other gods, like I said, I'll look it up. I'm just paraphrasing. If, they, if he tells you to go and, and worship other gods, then know that the Lord is testing you. And I think you can still do the same thing anything else. I mean, if there is a false preacher who says some great things and gives you advice that is going to make your life much better, and a lot of it probably would make your life better. I mean, if they tell you to be optimistic. Being optimistic generally does lead to better success, I think. I mean, I don't re- when I was uh, in uh, high school and I was on the wrestling team, I don't remember ever going out thinking I was going to lose and then winning, right? I mean, you have to kind of like be think that you're going to win, and then you might still lose, but you have a, at least you have a better chance of winning. Uh, so, I mean, just because they are able to give you temporary wealth, temporary pleasure, temporary success, doesn't mean that they are sent by God and that they're giving you the words of eternal life, especially if they're... Uh, if they're going to try to say that you're not going to have a cross. Like, what does Jesus say? Uh, Whoever would come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. He says, the world uh, hates you, know that it hated me first. Uh, I mean, he says of of Saul, I'll show you how much you must suffer for my name. So uh, there's lots of scripture that, that's the big thing when you talk about the televangelists. They're trying to take away these crosses and uh, trying to give you to have hope in yourself instead of hope in Christ. And Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So we always judge it by the Word of God. If there is a prophet who is uh, healing the sick and speaking in other languages, that doesn't necessarily mean that he has the Holy Spirit. If he is teaching you something that's false, that's, con- uh, that's contrary to Scripture, uh, then you should reject him and say, well, the Lord is testing me. Hmm. I, I think uh, what you brought up with Deuteronomy 13, it also brings to mind the way the Apostle John speaks in his first epistle in chapter 4, where he talks about testing the spirits to see whether they're from, mm-hmm. they're from God. And he's, he's very specific, giving the test of, you know, does it confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Because, you know, I mean, plenty of false prophets can quote scripture to you. Even the devil quoted scripture to Jesus. The question is, how are you using that scripture? Are you using it to preach that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? 
Or are you trying to preach some other kind of gospel, which as Paul says in Galatians is no gospel at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that's what we have to, uh, that's why we should be, be learning about, learning about scripture and, uh, and studying it. So. Certainly. So pastor Preuss with about six minutes here, just final thoughts on this text from Jeremiah chapter 28. And, and particularly in terms of false prophecy, as we think about that today, you know, how do we how do we watch out for false prophecy? What do we do to protect ourselves from false prophecy? Well, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. Uh, and then in Second Timothy chapter four, uh, he says to, to Timothy, uh, Saint, Saint Paul does, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, prove, pro- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, uh, And of course he's talking about being faithful to the Word of God. Uh, what Christians should be doing is we should go to church. Don't miss church. Just go to church every Sunday. Just don't ever not do that. Uh, and then listen to the sermon. Uh, and then if the pastor offers Bible study, go to Bible study. And read your catechism every day, just, or, or recite it to yourself. And read your Bible, and have devotions with, with your children. And this is, this is how you're going to recognize when it's bad fruit. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to know the friend. This is a, this is the thing that we're dealing with right now. We're bombarded constantly with other messages, and n- very few messages are intended to look bad. They want to look good. They want you to think that this is appetizing, uh, and you're not going to recognize it if you're not in the Word. And we're seeing this even among you know LCMS Lutheran youth. If they're going to church four times a year, you know and uh, not having devotions with their family. But then they go to school, and they're hearing every day about how it is okay to have sex outside of marriage as long as you are, you know, use protection. And that homosexuality is, is just fine, and there's no difference between uh, same-sex attraction and, and being attracted to some of the opposite sex. And that there's no difference between a man and a woman, that someone can choose to be a boy if he's a girl, or a girl if he's a uh, she's a boy and you can change your sex and all these things and we you know we just had uh pride month where they're, they're celebrating pride which itself is a sin uh, which goes before destruction in sexual deviancy and perversion and they're teaching this to little children i mean if you don't teach your children the truth then they're not going to have any defenses for uh these false prophets and it really, when you, like sticking to the, the topic of this pride and you know, the LGBT uh, group, not to like pick on any, any group, but this is kind of like, you know, Jeremiah kept on saying the same thing over and over again, too. I mean, they're saying the same thing that Hananiah was saying. The Lord approved of you. The Lord approved of you. The Lord is not upset with you. He's happy with your lifestyle. Oh, ignore all those other things that God said. And then, uh, you know, ignore the sixth commandment. Uh, ignore what God uh, teaches about the difference between a, a man and a woman. And uh, what are they doing? Is this helping them? These people who, uh, who 
suffer from these desires? Uh, are they helped by this LGBT uh, lobby that says, no, God is pleased with you. He's happy with you. Embrace your, your desires. No, they, they're placing an iron yoke on them that's making them double slaves to their sin that they were before. And then they uh, are, it's even more difficult for them to co- go and to repent. Uh, but the message of Jeremiah, the message of Scripture, is repent. And what are you going to find? Like uh, the, in Micah chapter 7, you read the book of Micah, and it is one of the most hard books to, to read. It's just condemnation after condemnation after condemnation. Why? Because he's trying to lead them to repentance. And then how does he finish? He says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And this is what our God promises to those who repent of their sins. It's actual healing. It's actual salvation from their sins. And these false prophets are like, no, 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 enjoy this. God is pleased with you. He's not going to punish you. And they say setting them up for failure. And it's interesting, the thing, like, you look at what benefits they're getting. When they say what your itching flesh wants to hear, the itching ear ear wants to hear, and they're benefiting materialistically from... Uh, from the things that they're saying. Like, Hannah and I, I'm sure, was rich and was showered with gifts. Uh, I mean, kind of look at, look at where it's coming from. Look at their fruits. And then you look at those, you look at Jeremiah, who suffers, who's hated for what he's saying. But he says it anyway, because this is what the Lord says. Uh, so I think, I think uh, we should be wise. Uh, look to Scripture and, uh, and pay attention to who's speaking and why they're speaking. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 1 to 17. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, any comments on the series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app and the open mic feature there to record up to a 60-second message to send to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.